Thank you for calling Gaywire. Your call is very important to us. Press 1 for fourth wave feminism. Press 2 for a strangely in-depth discussion about where the worms have gone. Press 3 for... You have chosen option 3. Please stay on the line. Hello, and thank you for choosing option three. You've reached Gaywire, where everything's at least a little bit queer. I'm your crimbly jimbly host, uh, with moderate back pain today, uh, Terrence Adams, and my pronouns are they and them, though you wouldn't know it if you were present at my doctor's appointment this morning because they misgendered me in front of me, so that's always fun. Anyways, thank you so very much, dear listener, for tuning into Gaywire on CJSR 88.5 FM produced in Amiskwishiwiskaigan on Treaty 6 territory and Region 4 of the Métis Nation of Alberta. Stolen land, which has been the gathering place of many distinct peoples, including but not limited to the Nitsitapi, Nahia, Dene, Anishinaabe, Nakoda Sioux, and Métis. We are thankful for and pay respect to the elders of the past, present, and future, and we invite listeners to take some time to reflect on the fact that decolonization and reconciliation are ongoing practices, and therefore need to be practiced in an ongoing way. For example, uh, for folks who celebrate holidays that are coming up in December, perhaps you could think about uh, purchasing some gifts for loved ones from indigenous artists or creators. There are some that are at the Edmonton Downtown Farmer's Market uh, basically every week, Um, and you can also check out some amazing indigenous wares at the quilt bag. Yeah, so, uh, we invite everyone to reflect on your own role within the systems that run our society and the greater community, along with what actions can be taken to uplift and liberate indigenous communities, cultures, ceremony, and medicine that have been historically forcefully displaced. For additional local indigenous resources, please visit e2s.ca. This episode marks the podcast stream debut of Gaywire's exploration into Prairie Drag. There have been a few sneak peek episodes that y'all might have caught if you were listening live, which by the way you can do on 88.5 FM Thursdays at 6pm Mountain Standard Time if you want to catch us live, or on cjsr.com around the world, like, yeah, we've got it all, and whenever, wherever, especially, not especially, but if you wanted, when you're taking a poop, 
uh, on any podcast platform you can think of, just search up GayWireCJSR. Um, so anyways, our series on Prairie Drag. It's here, it's queer, and there is a amazing thesis uh, project that I have been using for the bulk of the research on it, and that is the research by Angela Marie Meyer uh, in uh, their thesis, King Me, Alberta Drag King Performance from 1997 to 2016, Examining Constituency Audiences and the Communicative Functions of Gender, which is a lot of academic speak for, um, this is a over 200 pages of conversation with real drag king performers and what the heck that is, why that matters, and why it's so stinking cool. Um, before I go much further uh, talking about the study, though, I do want to acknowledge the, limit- the limitations of this study as um, it focuses on a Anglophone Northern American context uh, and it, a primarily white uh, context as well. Um, though there are acknowledgments of these limitations in the thesis itself, um, I just want to also make sure that that is very clear for folks who are not going to look it up themselves, because I don't blame you, it's a lot of reading, but if you want to look it up, uh, it I said the title and I will link it in the uh, podcast description, um, so please do check that out if you want to check it out yourself, because it is amazing, like truly incredible. Um, Yes, so I have not finished reading all over 200 pages of this thesis just yet, but I have read a considerable chunk, and um, it's kind of interesting. I stumbled across this paper after I had already reached out to drag performers, um, because I was curious, uh, particularly in performers commonly known as drag kings, because there's drag queens, drag kings, there's drag clowns, there's drag performers, there's all sorts of, of different drag artists out there. Um, but the sort of overarching genre of drag king deeply interests me personally, so that, that was the avenue that I was, um, really looking into. That's where I started, and that is also where Angela Marie Meyer started. Um, so it's kind of an interesting, uh, coincidence that we both are interested in researching the same thing, and they, of course, did a much more rigorous academic version than what I am doing, but their research ends at 2016, and it is now the year of uh, 2022, so it's been a little while, and a lot of the drag performers that I have interviewed so far have started performing in the last four years, or um, even sooner, or even later. Time is difficult for me sometimes. But anyway, the performers that I've interviewed so far, all of them started performing after 2016. So, um, it's interesting, uh, because also a lot of the questions that I independently developed on my own are very similar to the questions that are in Appendix E or Appendix F of the thesis project by Angela Marie Meyer. Um, and I think that I might be, uh, adapting my interview questions for further interviews based off of those interview questions, because, of course, being a PhD project, Angela Marie Meyer did a really good job of asking really insightful, incredible questions. So yes, just want to give credit where credit is due, but as of 
right now the it's it's just an interesting pattern that both of us uh, were asking very similar questions because we just want to know sort of the same thematic things. And again, because Angela Marie Meyer did such an amazing job, uh, they interviewed two cultural elders plus 19 drag kings and uh, asked three overarching research questions uh, about what kind of transformations about identity take place through drag, how drag offers a space for gender exploration, and connections and tensions between the drag and trans community. All things that I myself am deeply interested in. The latter question, of course, uh, as myself being a trans person, I find very deeply interesting because drag seems implicitly connected to transness, but I guess that it's not always been perceived that way. And so exploring this has been really interesting for myself, as well as uh, talking with other drag performers as they have varying experiences. And it's really taught me how expansive drag is as an art form and my appreciation for drag has grown like tenfold over the course of the interviews that I've done, and I have more yet to do. I hope that folks who have never heard of drag can maybe gain a glimpse of an idea of what drag could be from these interviews, and I hope that folks who are familiar with drag get a glimpse into what drag can be, which seems like the same thing, but basically drag is incredibly expansive, and I hope that y'all enjoy this interview series as much as I have enjoyed interviewing all of these amazing artists. So I'm very excited for y'all to hear these interviews, and the first one that you all will be hearing is the one with Gemini on Instagram, at HiGemini. They will be tagged in the podcast description, and also there will be posts on our Instagram at GayWireCJSR, promoting this, this episode along with this series with everyone tagged. So please check out all the people. We will also be posting some amazing drag photos. Um, if you're not driving, do that right now. If you are driving, keep your eyes on the road, keep your hands on the wheel, keep your feet on the pedals, and keep your ears on these radio waves or podcast waves, whatever you're listening. Just keep them on my silly little voice. But before we get into our drag series, we should start with community announcements. To start us off, just to remind everyone, there is a sort of new accessibility feature at the Edmonton International Airport, and that is the Hidden Disabilities Sunflower. You can pick up a lanyard at the airport itself, or you can order it beforehand, and the sunflower imagery on the lanyard or the keychain that you get helps to discreetly signal to staff that you may need some extra time or assistance when moving throughout the airport without you having to awkwardly out yourself in front of random strangers. For more information on the Hidden Disabilities Sunflower at the Edmonton International Airport, you can email info at flyeia.com. As this episode is coming out on November 17th, it is prudent to remind everyone listening that November 20th is Trans Day of Remembrance, where we take the time to honor those of us who haven't made it to today. And unfortunately, there are quite a few. Um, this is partially why our drag series is being released at this time, because there is this implicit link between drag and transness. Um, but yes, Trans Day of Remembrance is Sunday, November 20th, uh, 2022, and here is an event that you can attend if you would like to commemorate 
at Trans Day of Remembrance in a meaningful way on November 20th from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. at 8540 109th Street Northwest in Edmonton. Rarica Now will be hosting a Black Trans Live Matter focused International Trans Day of Remembrance ceremony, remembering all trans lives and specifically commemorating the legacies of Queen Cash Bay and Dr. Michael Marshall. So if folks are interested in attending, please visit at Rarica Now on Instagram and visit their Eventbrite. Uh, to reserve tickets or text or call 780-966-6178 to reserve your tickets. And if you do decide to attend this International Trans Day of Remembrance hosted by Rarica Now, please bring a candle and a gift of warmth. So again, that is 8540 109th Street Northwest. Um, in Edmonton, and we have been posting this on our Instagram, and also you can find all information at Rarica Now. Something else that is happening this weekend, aka November 19th, is the Alberta GSA Conference. This is open to all uh, Edmonton public school students, Catholic school students, uh, high school students basically, in Edmonton, and it is held at Ross Shepherd High School. So if you are interested, uh, we have posted that information on our Instagram at GayWireCJSR, or you can check out at ABGSA Conference, and there, uh, and they have all the information there. Just for a little sneak peek, yours truly, Terrence Adams, will be doing a workshop at said conference about online queer discourse, uh, but not just online, how it affects us in real life, and how we've kind of been dealing with the exact same problems for like 40 years. If you're a high school student or a teacher in the Edmonton Public School District or just in Edmonton in general, please uh, check out the Alberta GSA conference, register, and see if you can attend. If you are not of the high school age or a teacher in the Edmonton area and you still want to do something on November 19th, you can attend the Naloxone Training Plus Zine Workshop with Corvus Roan, which is happening at Ochichuan Contemporary Art Gallery, which is 10124 96th Street. This is a free workshop with no experience necessary, and let me just tell you, it is so important for all of us to be trained in the lock zone because it's... <laughs> Just, it's very important. And also zines. Zines are fun. Uh, they're super fun. Just for a general announcement about naloxone, since it is getting awfully cold outside, please keep your naloxone uh, close to your body as it is very easy for it to freeze. And when it freezes, it is not nearly as effective in reversing an overdose. So if you're carrying naloxone, ensure that it is kept warm because we live in a very cold area, and so our harm reduction is going to look a little bit different than those in warmer climates. Another date of note is November 18th, but November 18th is 2S LGBTQ plus in STEM day, which is pretty freaking cool. So Isthmus is going to be uh, recognizing 2S LGBTQ plus 
people in STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and math. And local organizations including Out Loud St. Albert, the Edmonton Two-Spirit Society, and Isthmus will be providing resources at the TELUS World of Science. So you can take part in themed queer STEM programming throughout the Science Center. Students in grades 6 to 12 are also invited to join in on the discussion inside the Ziedler Dome Theater when researchers and scientists from the community present their work. So honestly, the 18th and 19th, it's a bit of a banger for high school students and accessing queer resources. So if any high school students who are 2S LGBTQIA+, and they happen to be listening, please look into the AB, the Alberta GSA Conference and 2S LGBTQ plus in STEM day uh, put on by the TELUS world of science because there is just so, yeah, as someone who grew up with a fair amount of queer resources accessible to me, it's amazing seeing how much more is accessible to youth now. So if you are a queer youth, a trans youth, an anything youth who wants to learn more about this sort of thing, please look into these various events that I've talked about. Trans Day of Remembrance, the Alberta GSA Conference, and 2S LGBTQ Plus in STEM Day. Also, folks, as we are community radio, we rely on community donations, and Fun Drive is only like a week, and that's a very short period of time to get a large sum of money. So, just to like help everyone out, give everyone a little extension on the due date because Lord knows I've needed some of those this semester. We have extended our phone number donation text thingy to November 30th. So there is still some time to donate. So if you text CJSR and you text 41010101010101010 and you text CJSR, it will donate $10 to CGSR automatically and it'll come off your next phone bill. That is too wonky for your liking. You can also head on over to cjsr.com slash donate and you can donate. We have tons of amazing programming that goes on the air, that has been on the air for decades, and we want it to stay on the air so y'all can keep enjoying it. And also, guess what? If we're still on the air, then you could also be on the air. So, if you want to volunteer for CJSR, we are always taking volunteers. You can check that out on the website as well and learn how to do all of this swanky stuff. Alright, so that just about wraps us up for announcements this week. We will be posting all of these things on our social media, which is at GayWireCJSR. So you can check that out at your leisure. Alright, so right before we get into my interview with the one and only Gemini, uh, let's get into a little bit of history um, as as outlined in Angela Marie Myers' PhD thesis project. Um, Before we get into this little bit of background knowledge, I do want to give a quick content warning as there will be discussions of police violence, racism, ableism, eugenics, transphobia, and homophobic legislature. So please be kind to your brains and body minds, Uh, and if you don't want to hear it, you can just skip ahead and check out the interview because the interview is pretty amazing. So, um, as 
we probably are all aware there have been many government attempts to control and regulate non-normative sex, and also to villainize it legally and socially. And when I say non-normative sex, I mean gay sex, kinky sex, non-monogamous sex, non-procreative sex, non-marital sex, and sex work. And if a trans person is involved in any of those things, that just makes it more quote-unquote icky. Alberta has a very long history of laws like this, and Meyer asserts that drag as a community theater practice is absolutely enmeshed within the socio-political context that queer and trans folks live in, struggle in, and survive in. And beyond that, that drag itself is like a safe space, uh, beyond what just a gay bar could do, a safe space to go into and explore gender, and also explore identity in a way that's just not accessible outside of drag. Drag is a performance of gender, whatever that looks like for you, and so that's a very expansive definition, and allows for a lot of self-exploration. So basically, drag should be understood as part of the overarching set of struggles about privacy, censorship, political dissent, minority rights, freedom of expression, and sexual liberation. So uh, in terms of drag, uh, cross-dressing and sodomy laws are some of the tools through which the policing of non-normative bodies is done. And before we get any further, I don't want to ignore or erase the reality of trans antagonism, racism, and misogyny in drag spaces, but rather to highlight the versatility of drag as an art form and highlight the similarities in treatment of minority groups by institutions of power. A lot of cross-dressing laws, which were also called disguise laws, served to entrench morality and ideology about gender and sexual normalcy into the public zeitgeist, to provide a clear definition for other and then criminalizing that other. This was nothing new, of course. Uh, laws about which clothes a certain class or race could wear are evident throughout history, and it was only a matter of time before perceived sexual deviancy became the next target of these laws. Though by saying this, I don't want to imply that there's a strict chronology, just, again, the idea that minority groups are subject to similar laws with the intent to other and criminalize. This is one of the reasons why cross-movement solidarity is so integral. So because of these laws, the illegality of cross-dressing in public made passing in the straight world paramount for survival. This is something that's very interesting, uh, as I've done work with various doctors to explain that medical transition doesn't always have the end goal of passing, and it's been frustrating having doctor after doctor believe that there is some sort of linear transition and that the end goal is to pass as the quote-unquote opposite sex, um, when in reality there are billions of ways to be trans and billions of ways to transition, and not all of those will lead to going stealth or passing as straight in the straight world. And this was something that uh, Gemma and I explored in our interview, so I am very excited for y'all to hear some of these things, but I just have a little more history to go through, and then we will hear the interview with the one and only Gemini. My own thoughts aside, um, Meyer also includes quotes from Leslie Feinberg, the author of famous book Stone Butch Blues. And Leslie Feinberg said that police raids were the ultimate terror, and they didn't just have the law on their side, 
they were the law, and would often not officially arrest folks for cross-dressing, instead dealing out their own sentences in the backseat of a cop car or in an alleyway. Meyer, amongst others, wonder if this practice of not formally charging folks accounts for the lack of historical evidence regarding convictions for cross-dressing, but I'd like to go a step further. If there is no paper trail connected to a quote-unquote arrest, then there is no accountability connected to said arrest. And that's not to say that folks weren't arrested, loads were, just there's not enough historical data to explain for the fact that like every single LGBTQ plus person of the time had a personal connection or anecdote about multiple police raids. So it's a bit of a mismatch between the data and what we culturally understand, which can be super frustrating when we are trying to tell our history and then folks will go, okay, but where's the data? Well, it's not there it wasn't handled officially in the first place. Cross-dressing on the street may get you in trouble, but cross-dressing on the stage in the, 16, in the 1860s onwards in an Anglophone North American context, however, elicited a different reaction. So long as these cross-sex dressing performances worked to reaffirm normative gender and sex values. In World War II and World War I, there were drag performers, themselves Canadian soldiers, um, but their drag was part of a broader theatrical show, a minstrel show, uh, which commonly included blackface alongside their drag. So obviously there has been a lot of development of drag as an art form and also as the LGBTQ plus community adopted it and sort of made it a cultural phenomenon, um, but we do not have infinite time to go through all this, so we're just going to be focusing on these sort of early, uh, late 1800s, early 1900s North American Anglophone context for this episode. In later episodes in this series, I hope to go even further back into the history of drag, specifically looking into the history of women's cross-dressing, which is, again, weird terms, weird terminology, but it's the way that it has been referred to historically. So that's how I'm referring to it. But of course, it's there, there have been trans-masculine folks forever. There have been trans-feminine folks forever, so some of these folks that have historically been referred to as cross-dressers might have been trans, they might have been doing drag, there's- it's all wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey, and, uh, all overlaps, so that's part of why it's so interesting. Speaking of interesting, I'm interested in you, listener, because you are listening to me on Gaywire on CJSR 88.5 FM in Amiskwichi, Wisconsin, colonially known as Edmonton. And it is now time to hear my interview with the one and only Gemini. So my name is Aberdeen and I use he, they pronouns. And then my drag name is Gemma Nye. And in drag, I use they, them pronouns. 
Awesome. And uh, how long have you been practicing drag? So I've been doing drag for actually four years this month. Um, I had no experience with makeup like whatsoever until like literally the first time I put myself in drag and it absolutely showed. Um, so yeah, pretty much like four years to the dot. November 22nd will be my, I think that was the first time I ever went out in drag. So yeah, nice little four years. Um, so what initially drew you to drag? It's kind of a funny story because I actually like hated drag and I would watch RuPaul's Drag Race and just see like men making fun of like women, especially in the earlier seasons. And there's a lot of like transphobic language and it's like really misogynistic. And I was just like convinced that like drag queens are men who dress up as women in order to like make fun of them or make them seem like dumb, like bimbos and like sluts and stuff. Um, and then I actually had uh, a partner in high school who also was trans, was a trans girl and was like, actually like a ton of trans people do drag and showed me like all of these really amazing like trans feminine drag artists um, and showed me like drag kings and stuff. And it really like opened up my mind to what drag could be. Um, and then I moved to Edmonton in like 2016, 2017 um, and was like very lightly like exposed to the drag scene here, but I had only been to one show, which was like a drag race queen. And so I kind of just like, thought that that's what it was they do their thing they get off stage immediately like there's no interaction um so I kind of had this like perception of drag and then when I moved to Edmonton I wanted to get my hair cut and I heard about this hair salon that offered gender neutral pricing walk into the salon get my hair cut by like just whatever random person is like available and I'm like oh I just moved to town like is there anything fun to do and my hairdresser is like, yeah, actually, I'm a drag queen and I do this monthly show and it's like two blocks away from here. I would love if you come. And it was like a really like wild divine moment because about a week earlier, I had just gone through a breakup with the person I had mentioned before. Long, long relationship, finally like parting ways. Like we went through all of high school together, moving out, coming out to our parents, all that stuff. I was like so lonely and I had randomly met this person who was like, oh, if you want some new friends, I have a table at this drag show every month. They just reserve a table for me and 10 friends and you could totally join us. And then that was the show that I was invited to by the queen. And I was like, oh my gosh, all of these like signs are pointing me to go to this show. And when I experienced this show, the drag queens were like falling over, their wigs were falling off. Like they were like messing up the words. And I just thought it was like the most fun ever. Like I was like, this is more what I feel like drag should be. Like it's about fun, it's about community. It's not about having like the most perfect polished performance. And through that, I was just like, you know what? Like I wanna try this. I had gone through so many years um, like growing up as like a trans boy. Um, repressing like femininity and being like taught by both like cis and other trans people that like you have to act a certain way in order to like pass or to be seen as like valid and so honestly like I first started wearing makeup as like an act of defiance um and then it grew into like an art form essentially that allowed me to like understand that I'm non-binary that I'm not like as a binary person as I thought I was and just like led me to being able to express so many parts of myself that I didn't even know like needed to be expressed. Um, and then the, to wrap the story up, uh, the drag queen who told me about the show 
later adopted me and became my drag mom and like has given me like the most amazing opportunities, the most amazing drag family and community I could ever ask for. So it was a very happy ending for Gemini. That's a whirlwind from start to finish. Very much that like divine feeling where everything was coming together there. I love that so much. Um, So something that I've because uh, I've been interviewing a variety of drag performers because there's so many of y'all and a lot of like trans mask drag performers and a lot of the thematic sort of like coming into drag is undoing a lot of that internalized misogyny and um, that trans misogyny. <clears throat> uh, so how, how do you say that drag sort of helped you tackle that? Well, even just through like the drag community, like it exposed me to so many more, I don't want to say like different types of trans people, but like people who are on like different transition journeys, people who have different goals, people who have different gender identities, people who had gender identities that I didn't even like knew existed and just seeing it be what I really love about drag is when somebody looks at you, they're not trying to figure you out. They just see you as you are, as this like beautiful thing. And then all the layers that you have underneath kind of like don't matter. And I kind of view drag as like the great equalizer where all of the things that you might experience from like the straight community outside, like is just wiped away by whatever you put on. And that being said, there is a ton of like, lateral discrimination and violence like within the drag community I'm not saying that like it's easy for everybody to break in especially if you have other like marginalizing factors but I do think that drag is an opportunity for anybody to kind of take like a clean slate and like reinvent themselves and I've seen like so many people go into drag being like I'm fully cisgender and I'm like haha all right see you in a year um and I've also seen people like go into drag being like I'm fully cisgender and then drag like just affirms that for them that uh, femininity is just more of like an artistic expression rather than like an identity so I really think that like it helps people kind of figure themselves out by allowing you to kind of like be somebody else and then it's like do you want to be this person always is this person just like a side of you um for me personally, and this is why I chose the name Gemini, I don't view my drag as like a character or a persona. It's uh, just a re it's a reflection of me. It's another side of me. Um, and that's why I chose like the name Gemini, A, because it's my like star sign and B, because it kind of represents like two sides, but it is the same. How does it um, feel to go through the world in drag versus out of drag? Yeah, it's really interesting because in my day-to-day -day life um like being non-binary but being like more like masculine presenting like if you can even say that because I'm a very feminine person like I will get called like sir at work and I'm like are they talking to me um or like men will make like really misogynistic comments to me and like expect me to go along with them or make like homophobic comments to me and expect me to like bro it up and like laugh with them um, but then in drag, like the assumptions are almost like the opposite where people often assume that I'm a bio queen, which is a word we don't use anymore. Um, when women first started doing drag in Edmonton, that term was really important to differentiate themselves from the male drag performers because they literally had to fight to be included in the scene. And so 
it was kind of like a badge of honor. Like, yeah, like I'm a woman, um, what of it? But now the like expression of womanhood in drag is so diverse. Like you have like trans women, you have like non-binary girls, you have like cis women. So we don't use the term bio queen anymore. Um, women who do drag are just drag queens um, because it do- it is like very, um, oh geez, what's the word? It's very like bio, like essentialist, like reducing somebody to like, the way that they were born and that's not like what drag should be like I said that it, it erases all that stuff so yeah I I usually have a mustache in drag and I found that it really protects me because people see it and they see like this one male characteristic and they're like okay this is a guy dressed as a girl but then I've also found that that then leads me to like other scenarios where people will again like say like really like bro stuff to you and expect you to go along with it um but then if I don't have a mustache um, or if I'm like just more like feminine presenting, people will be like, oh, so like you're a woman out of drag, right? Or like, are you a bio queen? Like, or stuff like that. And I'm like, ah, no, um, you're not supposed to say stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I find like the perception in and out of drag is really, it's different, but it is almost the same because people will still project what they interpret onto you. But I think drag just gives you like more like power like people will like hit on me in drag and then I'm like dude you know I literally have a mustache right and they're like oh okay never mind um or people will like say really like man like bro things to me in drag and I'm like dude you know I'm literally a woman right and they're like oh okay um so it kind of goes both ways and it's fun to like play with people's interpretations and expectations of you have sort of more smoke screens to just play with gender and play with perception yeah obviously the Edmonton drag scene is pretty different from like RuPaul and stuff like that so how would you say like the the sort of biggest positive difference uh between sort of mainstream drag and what you experience drag to be I would say definitely the biggest difference is the celebration of diversity in the Edmonton drag scene especially when it comes to like gender expression within drag and like even on drag race you do see like non-binary and like trans performers but they're all kind of within a certain like box of like they are still out of drag one gender and then it like changes you know like when you look at people like um Gottmik or like Kimmy Couture like they are like passing individuals so they still have this like transformation in drag and I think that's what a lot of like the shtick of drag race is it's like you were one thing and now you're completely another um whereas in Edmonton like you I would say like the majority of our drag kings are trans masked like if I meet a drag king I'm assuming he's trans um like we have a ton of like trans like women and men like trans men who do queen drag trans men who do king drag trans men who do like in between tons of like non-binary performers and stuff. And it is not just like a token, like, oh yeah, we're going to have one in each show. Like you have shows that are all Kings. You have shows that are all alternative performers. Um, I personally host a show every two months. That's all trans, non-binary and two-spirit performers. And I never run out of people because there's so many of them to like celebrate and platform here. Um, And people have been fighting for years for drag Kings to be included on shows like Drag Race. But the format is just really like catered to 
men dressing up as women and you even see like for example um the trans uh female contestant on the last season of drag race had a lot of like things happen to her like they didn't blur her chest during a lip sync because they still perceive her as a man who's like nipples can be shown on television um and they kind of like are still mistreating the people that they invite on because of these expectations that they have, whether they communicate those expectations or not. Whereas in Edmonton, you can just literally do anything you want, express yourself in any way. We have a lot of performers who will kind of like switch things up, like perform as a king or perform as a queen and like have a very like fluid expression um, in drag. And I also find that in Edmonton, a lot of the drag community's value is not specifically in performance like me personally I don't enjoy performing half as much as I do like hosting organizing events um just like being on like the backside of things and I feel that on shows like drag race it's a very performance based which also is inherently ableist because we have so many incredible performers in Edmonton who have disabilities who use mobility aids and stuff like that and so if we're creating this culture where the emphasis on being a good drag queen is how many like eight counts you can do, can you do the splits? Can you do a flip? It's entirely discrediting all these performances. So a lot of performers in Edmonton will do like skits or like mixes or like spoken word. They sing live. It's like a lot less emphasis on like rocket a kiki ka dancing and more on like express expressing yourself through art, through like costuming and makeup and stuff. Um, and I do really like that because it's only been very recently, um, like literally in the past like six months to a year that we have had like vis visibly disabled performers like taking up space, uh, which is ironic because the only gay bar we have is down like 10 flights of stairs and not very accessible. Um, and you would never see that on Drag Race just because like it's just not realistic and their expectations are so incredibly like demanding um, that it does exclude like a very large part of the drag population who may have any disabilities, who may have any like mental illnesses or um, things that pre could prevent them from like operating in such like a high pressure environment. And the Edmonton scene is a lot more like welcoming and encouraging and making space for those. It's not just emphasis on like one style or one type of performance. And I think that that's where the strength of our community lies is the fact that you can go to any show and see like a really great like expression of diversity, um, whether it's through like the gender expression, whether it's through like the type of music they perform, it's like their race, their gender identity outside of drag. Um, and it wasn't always that way, for sure. There used to be a lot of like all white shows and people didn't recognize the importance of diversity and I think a lot of people didn't realize that if you have an all-white show you're gonna have an all-white audience and they're wondering like oh why aren't more people of color getting involved in drag why aren't the people of color who are performing in drag like sticking around it's like well they don't get to see opportunities for themselves because you're like excluding them because you're pushing them down like people that are coming to the shows aren't seeing themselves reflected in the performers and it's not inspiring them to a either start drag themselves or to continue going really it's kind of like discouraging so by doing shows like Gemma's Dollhouse which is like all 
trans, like um, non-binary and two-spirit, we're kind of trying to like undo a little bit of the harm that's been done and be like, okay, y'all can do literally any other show any other day, but this one show is just for like the days basically. Um, and have I gotten complaints about it? Absolutely. I'm being discriminatory against cis people. Um, but you know what? Literally every show that exists is whether they like realize it or not, it's like subconsciously biased, right? So that's my bias and I will stand behind it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, be discriminatory towards cis people any day. Um, I might have to cut that out for the radio, but I'll put it on the podcast feed. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, so in terms of being in in the drag community, you mentioned like you have a drag family. How how does that feel and how does how does that work also? Yeah, so in terms of being in in the drag community, you mentioned like you have a drag family. How how does that feel and how does how does that work also? Yeah, so drag family, like it can mean so many different things to different people. There's some people who like do a really good performance in the club and then somebody comes up to you and is like, wow, you're great. You want to be my drag kid. Um, but for me, it was like a lot more of a personal journey. So this person, um, her name is Sister Mary Clarence. She started off as my hairdresser. I started going to her shows. I eventually started like volunteering to like film the shows. Then I would be like backstage helping them zip up. Then I would be like helping them pin the wigs and kind of just like weaseled my way in. Um, and at the time she had four kids um, that all like had a really deep personal relationship with her. Like they were real like friends of hers. They were like coworkers of hers, um, just not random people that were like cherry picked to like create like a group. Um, what I really enjoyed about the House of Mary was that everyone like really legitimately cared about each other. And for me personally, like I'm not super close with my family. Um, and so having this like person essentially be like another parent to me was like so incredibly meaningful. And like my mom um, lives out of town. I don't really get to see her a lot. But my mom, like biologically, has like fully embraced this person as like my second parent. And like she wants to move away to the States. And she sent this like heartfelt message to my drag mom being like, I know you'll take care of my kid if I go away. Like my drag mom, like DJed my real mom's wedding. Like the, the ties are like really, really deep. Um, and I was adopted into the family like. I, I had a, I had an inkling, I had a feeling like a, a couple weeks prior, I was taking a photo with some queens after a show who were in the house of Mary. And one of them was like, oh, it's a family photo. And sister Mary was like, Shh, don't say anything. And I was like, okay, you know, something's going on here. So I did a show um, at Have Mercy, which was like, the original show that I went to from like the OG story. So it was a very full circle moment. And I had no idea that it was going to happen. And literally like she called me on stage and was like, all right, like here's a shot for you fully knowing that I don't do shots. Um, and like, take this shot and you're in the house of Mary. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And like my real mom was at the show as well. And she was like, like sobbing and crying. Like she was so happy for me. Um, and since then, like with this group of people, we've done like a bunch of shows together. 
like it's just my group of friends and my like support system um some of us have like moved away or like kind of taken more of a hiatus from drag because of like working on like personal pursuits or like businesses and stuff but we are all still really like interconnected and what I really like about our drag family is we can have a show that's like just our family and it is like racially diverse like gender diverse like it just so happens that all of us have such a different like background and like expression in drag and we all like really balance each other out and like create this really well-rounded group that I really appreciate because a lot of the time um drag families will share like certain similarities and again it discourages like other people from like marginalized communities from like trying to pursue that because they're like well if this family is like all white all cis people like what place do I have like who is gonna adopt me who's gonna look out for me if this is like the standard you know so I do really appreciate that our drag mom like kept that in mind and like wanted to create like a very well-rounded group but also like it makes sense like we're we all work together at like our little part-time job um we're not just like random people thrown together for diversity's sake we are like a unit a unit a team the a-team and it's wicked yeah that sounds so amazing and I love all the different ways that family can manifest itself especially with all like two us lgbtqia plus folks like it's just it's it's so much more expansive than uh, the sort of familial definitions that we've been taught. And yeah, it's always very beautiful. Okay, where to go from there? Because you've just said so many interesting things. I had like six different questions I wanted to ask off of that, and I can't remember any of them. Um, I am like Tumblr, so if you ever need to, like, feel free to be like, pause and like put a pit in that or something because I'll just go on <laughs> yeah no it's all good um oh I want to hear more about your non-binary like your they them show um like what is that like yeah. and and you said that you like hosting more than performing so like all yeah so my very first uh drag experience performing in a show was actually in an all trans and non-binary show and the show like rose out of like, like anger, like people were mad that there was not enough inclusion of like trans people in the community. And so they were, the solution was to have a trans and non-binary show. And the show was called Trans and Non-Binary Show. And at the time I was like, oh, hell yeah, like any opportunity to perform. Um, when I first started like performing in drag, I had no intention at all of like continuing with it like I just enjoyed dressing up and going out to the club as like a form of self-expression and I always like I do have like a performance background in like musical theater and like in bands and stuff um but I just didn't think it would be like for me like I've never really considered myself like a performer I consider myself more of like a personality um but like doing that first number and it was a tip spot which means you don't get paid but you just get like whatever tips you get and like literally there was like a line of all my friends like waiting at the side of the stage to tip me and I just had never felt like so like celebrated and like showered with love which is really ironic because like looking back on it it was like the most rotted wig 
dress I got from Value Village like the day before. The shoes were like this big and like it was before I shaved off my eyebrows. And so my makeup was scary. Um, And then literally like I got off stage, could barely like feel my legs. And somebody who I know, who I've known through like the Francophone community was like, hey, uh, I'm hosting this like Francophone drag show in two weeks. And I know you speak French. Would you want to perform some songs in French? And I was like, okay. And it just pretty much like spiraled from there. Um, So when it came to like hosting my own shows, it was something that I knew I wanted to do right away because I'm the type of person that like, I don't, I don't respect authority. And I like, I see a need and I like feel it. Like I have this like insane, like compulsion to just like do stuff. If I see any like injustice, like I can't sleep at night. So I wanted to start hosting shows that was like an emphasis on trans performers and performers of color and like kings and just kind of all the people that were generally like excluded. So I had a partner um, who was really instrumental in helping me get into drag, a really close friend of mine who helped me with like a lot of makeup and had done shows in the past. So we kind of teamed up and we did um, nine months of monthly shows um, before it was canceled by the venue. So sad. Um, and then it was like a really, really good foundation. What I really enjoyed about those shows was we would do like costume parties. We would have like an art installation. You could take like photos at our selfie wall. And it was a lot more like involving the audience in the party rather than it being like the performers are going to perform to you and then they're going to leave. So that kind of fizzled out. And I took a break from like, Uh, hosting and producing stuff because I started to get more involved with Party Queens, which is the organization that I currently run. Uh, It was started by my drag mom, Sister Mary, and it essentially started as a union for drag performers. We created like standardized rate of pay, which was then reflected across venues all across Edmonton, Uh, safety protocols, um, and like just a more like safe method for people to hire drag performers rather than like sliding your DMs and being like, hey, come to my backyard for 50 bucks. Um, We would like arrange everything, make sure that it's safe. And it started off as just kind of like a hobby side thing for my drag mom to like pass along the gigs that she couldn't do. But then it has become like an entire business. We're all across Canada. Um, We provide like drag entertainment in like Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Saskatoon, Toronto, and Montreal through like groups that we're partnered with there. And kind of the intention is to break down the barrier between like normal people and drag queens. We want the queens to come and like party with them. Um, And also to use it as like a tool to um, expose people to different like types of drag. Like if they want free performers, like we're sending a drag king. We don't care. Um, And literally like people in our emails will be like, what is a drag king? And we're like, well, have we got a surprise for you? Um, (coughs) Excuse me. So when COVID happened and closed the bar, um, they were really looking for like new programming. Um, There used to be like shows on Thursdays, but they all kind of like fizzled out. And so I was like, hey, um, Rob from the bar, crazy idea. Give me all of the Thursday shows. Just give them to me. And he was like, 
okay. So we created this like rotation where uh, there's my show and then there's like six other shows that all like would rotate on the Thursdays. Um, and the first um, Gemma's Dollhouse, that's like the trans and non-binary show that I run. I had played around with like a lot of different like names and themes for it. I really wanted the intention of the show to be highlighting the performers, but without making it just like they're trans. Um, because I found that like the naming and like the advertisement of the previous shows that I had done was like a little bit tokenizing. So I don't put on the poster or like anywhere um, that it's an all trans show. Um, like I'll put it in the description or whatever, but I want people to see the poster and just think like, wow what a sickening drag show and not like consider it and I always like say on the mic like this is an all trans show but it's also a show full of amazing performers who all just happen to be trans um I'm it's like not like the most important thing but it is like a really important factor especially because trans identity like influences like like what you perform and like it it can inform like your drag so much and like what you want to express and show people um so it's been really really amazing um some people have like used the show as like a way to like come out and be like this is going to be my first performance as like an openly like trans non-binary person which is like really really special um and the shows have always been like really successful. There's always been like a ton of support for them. And I really strongly felt like this is how it could be always. Like you could have any other random show that just like happens to have an all trans cast and it can be like wicked. Um, and I just want to like show people that the show has been going on for like eight uh, cycles now. And I'm doing um, the next one as Doll Stars. It's like my favorites coming back for like a victory lap or whatever. But other than that, like I've rarely had to repeat people. There's so many people to draw from and like people that are constantly like coming like up and like like discovering drag. And then I'm like, okay, you, you, you. Um, but it's been really nice and recently um now that the shows have kind of like hit a really good stride and I'm not like super stressed planning them anymore because they kind of follow the same um pattern we've been doing these group numbers at the end where all the tips that we collect go to charity and we basically like pick a certain charity and we try and raise $500 if we don't hit the 500 it carries on to the next show and then we present like a little fake check so in another show that I'm doing tomorrow I'm going to be presenting a $500 check to yes which I'm like really excited and happy about because um one thing that I've like learned like doing so many shows and just standing there with like the mic in my hand so much is like the people on stage benefit so much from the love of the community but there's like people who like can't come to the shows because they're broke or they're like experiencing like houselessness or all these other like issues in our community that I sometimes feel like just providing really fun entertainment is almost like, like covering up or like, um, like detracting from. So I wanted to start using the platform a little bit more to like raise awareness about like community issues, but also I hate like raising awareness. I hate like a land acknowledgement and then like and on with the show. So I wanted to collect money because money is what makes the world go around and money is what makes like the greatest impact 
for like nonprofits in our community. So yeah, um, so we are running short on time. Um, I've got my little timer thing telling me that it's going to kick us off in six minutes. So um, where can people find you? Um, it's yeah, where can people find you so they can see all of these amazing shows and things? Yeah, that so about? people can find me on Instagram at hi Gemma Nye. It's hi like hi Gemma like Gemma Collins and Nye like Bill Nye because I'm really smart. Um, and I would also definitely encourage people to check out Party Queens Yeg on Instagram or PartyQueens.ca. We have like a full schedule of all the events that are happening in Edmonton. And I would also encourage people to, to check out Dragging Our Heels. And Dragging Our Heels is an Instagram page and a YouTube channel, which archives all of the drag performances in Edmonton. So you can see like all the previous performances from people, but they also have a very comprehensive schedule of not only drag shows, but like queer burlesque and like other like queer performing arts shows that they film. So if you're ever looking for something to do that offers like a really wicked like variety. Um, honestly, Instagram is what I'm most active on. I would give my TikTok and Twitter, but people can just find it through the gram, so. You just heard my interview with drag performer Gemini. Uh, if you want to check out their Instagram, you can go to at Gemini. It will also be tagged in the little description thingy if you're listening to this on the podcast feed if you're listening to this on the radio you can check out our social media and they will also be tagged there along with some amazing photos like when i opened the email when these photos were sent to me i gasped and then i forgot to respond to the email for about five days so i apologize but i did gasp when i saw those photos absolutely in love so i hope that y'all enjoy those as well and thanks so much for tuning in don't forget to wash in between your toes the next time you shower and please stay on the line Gaywire is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM in Amiskwichi, Wiskigan, colonially known as Edmonton, land which has been the home and traveling ground of many, including but not limited to the Nehia, Dene, Nakota Sioux, Anishinaabe, Nitsitapi, and Métis. All of us at Gaywire encourage you to think critically about the structures of power we reside within, your role in and around it, and what you can do to challenge the damaging legacies and mechanisms of colonialism in your day-to-day. Reconciliation is not a one-time thing, it's an ongoing practice. For more information about local Indigenous resources, please visit e2s.ca. Please tune in next week to hear more Prairie Queer content, and until then, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts. You can find us online at gaywire.transistor.fm, and on Facebook or Twitter at Gaywire, and at GaywireCJSR on Instagram and TikTok. Let us know what you think of the show. Hit up the DMs sometime on Instagram, or if you'd rather be fancy. You can also email gaywirecjsr at gmail.com, and you never know, you just might get to be a part of the show. Our artwork is by Travis Erickson, original music by Doug Hoyer and Catherine Hiltz. <laughs>